0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor.
1: What's good, everybody? Happy Monday. I'm joined by friend of the podcast, friend of mine, good friend, uh, Mr. Cody Shalatu. We're recording this on Sunday before the game takes place. As usual, I'm not going to be recording, recording at 2, 3 a.m. It's just not happening. And I wanted to get you guys something to listen to on your commutes to work, especially now that the time difference between England and East Coast is a little bit shorter for the next week or two. So I think the first thing I wanted to jump into and we'll be quite, quite fluid with this. We're going to kind of discuss what we, our thoughts what we think could happen why it didn't happen so i want to jump into kevin porter jr and his his previous availability and whether or not we think boston should have kicked the tires on any possibility of bringing him in i know that second unit could really do with some scoring so cody first of all how you doing man
0: oh, well first of all i'm doing great adam thank you for having me on as always it's always a pleasure to sit down with a great adam taylor oh i don't know about that <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I like Kevin Port when when it was his his draft came up uh, two years ago. I liked him slotted i I slotted him into fourteen numerous times on some mock drafts I had. I liked his scoring ability. I thought what he showed at USC was a little bit raw, but someone that can definitely be potentially a twenty point scorer one day. Obviously, he fell because of character concerns. Um, I think he had some gun charges. Um, He definitely had some gun charges in Cleveland. That's why he was uh, available. So I understand that as, as a organization and kind of the, the way that it's been going on. And this is, you know, as someone who watches the Patriots all the time and has watched, like obviously character is number one and you want to put good characters in your organization. Now is Kevin Porter a bad person? No, I don't think so. I think everyone makes mistakes. Everyone has something that they need help with. And I think he's, I don't think he's going to go out on a rampage, but obviously those concerns were there. That's why not only the Celtics, but 30 other teams passed him up until the Rockets ended up picking him up and putting him in the G League. And he was just way too talented there. So it just depends on what, do you think that the talent outweighs the character? And then obviously these teams have way more information than we do. I mean, we see that he was charged for this and that, but they probably you know have been talking to people that know him, uh, family members, uh, past coaches, past teammates, kind of getting the gist of what he's about. And they decided that the risk wasn't worth the reward, which is fine. Personally, you know, again, like I said, I think people make mistakes. would I have liked the Celtics to kind of, at least like you said, kick the t- tires on him? Sure. I mean, obviously he's a great scorer and we saw, we're going to see this in Houston for the next few years. And they're honestly not that bad set up for a rebuild with Christian Wooden himself and Porter on top of 340 picks in the next three years. They have a pretty good chance of being a very quick rebuild and being right back into that Western Conference playoff picture. However, like you said, a scoring guard would have done wonders for the Celtics. But I think they have other things in mind. Um, trade deadline's coming up in about just under two weeks now, so we'll probably see a move there. But I, if you were to tell me would you? what I have if I was running the Celtics, I probably would have looked into it. And I'm sure they did. They just felt like the risk wasn't worth the reward or yeah.
1: I mean, the first thing you need to consider with this is obviously, as you've mentioned, personality holds a huge weight in Boston at the moment. They made a very concerted effort to rebuild that locker room following that Terry Rozier, Kyrie Irving insane end to a season where they felt that the locker room just wasn't as united as what they wanted it to be. There wasn't the camaraderie there. So Having put such effort into doing that and drafting with that as part of their draft process is looking at personality fit and how well you're going to be slotting in around other guys in the locker room, never mind on the floor. I understand why they chose against going for Kevin Porter Jr. Also, Houston have John Lucas there, who's a coach that's got a good reputation for working with players that have troubled pasts or that have bad reputations for their attitudes. And... Maybe that was a big part in Kevin Porter Jr. wanting to go there. We don't know whether these were isolated incidents um, that have just kind of left a stain on his record. We don't know whether this is more of who he actually is. And he's just he just needs assistance in growing as a player, growing as a person, and just a bit more time to just mature naturally. But when you look at his basketball ability, I think there's no question about how good he is as a basketball player on the floor. I mean, he's only played two games for Houston. In those two games, he went for 13 points, uh, 10 assists and five rebounds in his first game. And in the second game, he seven points, eight assists and three rebounds. So it's not like he like he's multifaceted. Like, he's a guy he can find his own shot, can score from all fours, can... Do a little bit of board. You don't expect him to do too much, but there's enough there that you feel comfortable with that, right? And he would definitely have helped this Boston stagnating because he can he can do so many things for himself, many things for others as well, that I do kind of wish Boston at least been more vocal about any thinking that they never made the call. And I completely understand from the, from the aspect of not doing it for personality reasons, but that point of view, this is a guy that I just feel like they missed who Edible to these, yeah. I
0: mean, obviously, he's playing well. Um, you also have to take in kind of consideration that their season's kind of lost now, so they're just letting him go. And obviously, I haven't watched him play yet, I've seen the stats, and those are great stats, but we're not saying he's going to put those up in Boston. But like you're saying, I think he, he slots in well and doing multiple things. He's an extra ball handler and facilitator with those assist numbers that we saw, averaging nine in his two games, which the Celtics need and that's something we were talking about over the last couple of weeks with Marcus Smart out. He's back now, so there's a facilitator there as well as the outside scoring, which is another, you know, thing that Boston has needed for a while and I think he fits both molds just you know like I said unfortunately they did not think that that was worth Potential locker room things, especially, like you said, how they made that effort to get guys like Grant Williams and Aaron Smith, who are are just nice guys. And, you know, with the Marcus Morris and Jalen Brown and Kyrie Irving and Terry Rozier and probably a bunch of Gordon Hayward and like that whole locker room debacle of 2018-19. They do want to, you know, swerve away from that because I think they're a talented team right now. And now that's when you have a very talented team, that's when you do those little nitpicky things. And I think Houston's in a situation where they can afford to take a flyer on a guy like that and again, hopefully think we, hopefully it's in uh, isolated instances and he's not this you know guy like I don't really think he is but it's one of those things where you chalk it up. I don't think you can blame Danny way too much. I've seen people you know be you know, I mean Danny can buy a hamburger instead of a cheeseburger and people say that he's ruining the Celtics because of that decision so every everyone's gonna have their things but I don't think you can really put too much blame on Danny. I think that all all the other organizations pass him up as well. So it wasn't just like the
1: Celtics were the only team to say no. Yeah, and when you're talking about a guy with um, that type of personality or alleged personality, bringing him into a position where his role is going to be very regimented, his offensive opportunities are going to be limited behind guys like Tatum, guys like Brown. If he's only with the second unit, he's probably going to be behind Peyton Pritchard maybe he's behind Romeo Langford when Romeo comes back we don't know but you have to factor in those concerns in how is this player going to react we've taken such a big step back in like leash like offensive availability and viability and being asked to be more of a floor spacer and secondary or tritiary creator so that's definitely a concern for me and I do think that being in a team like Houston where They're just going to put the ball in his hands and say, show us what you can do, and then we'll start figuring out how to develop you once we know more. Um, That's very attractive to a young player, especially one that needs to rebuild his value around the league and needs to rebuild some form of respect around the league. I think this is going to be a really good fit for him. I just really wish that the Celtics had... Some form of coaching there that they could have been very comfortable with bringing him in. I know that they basically sterilised the locker room, but at points I do feel like the Celtics can be a little bit too nice on the floor. They're quite a nice team. You don't see them really getting in anybody's grill. They don't like try and play under people's skins like they used to. If you remember the Jay Crowder years, that team oh, yeah. was get, that team was in everybody's face all the time, under everybody's skin. Uh, Now I feel like they've maybe gone too far the opposite way. So bringing in a live wire may have actually helped kind of bridge the gap between the nice guys and some of the rougher guys like Christian Thompson and Marcus Smart. And sometimes you need that live wire to electrify everybody and put everybody back into some form of competitive mindset where they're firing each other up rather than waiting for the opposition to give them fuel to the fire.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I like, like I said, I like Kevin Porter. I had him mocked to the Celtics. I mean, I'm glad Romeo got there, as you, as you know. But I think he's a great player, and yeah, I think this team does need an extra um. They need that Marcus Morris type that they lost, and I, I think Christian Thompson is doing a good, at least a decent job in being that guy. But I think they just need one more, one or two more, just to hold players accountable. Um, you know, like I said, like those Jay Crowder years, they were getting under people's skins. And Boston obviously drew to that like a moth to a flame. We love that stuff over here. Um, so I think if they get one more player, I'm not I'm not sure if he's that guy like on the court. Again, I haven't really watched much of Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, I've seen a couple college games that he was in, but I haven't really watched much of him since. So I don't know exactly if he's like that you know, rah-rah dude on the floor. Um, so maybe that spot is still a need even if you bring Kevin Porter Jr. in. But like I said, if I was Danny – I probably would have took a flyer on him. I think that you have so many. You, this locker room is so combined right now, and you know they're, they're pretty solid. I think if you bring one guy in, I don't think you disrupt too much chemistry. And if he works, great. And if he doesn't, I don't think you lose much. So I would have probably took a flyer on Kevin Porter Jr., and then maybe he is that live wire, like you said, that can spark up the bench, make two or three quick shots, and boom, we're right back in a game that we were down by and looking kind of sloppy. Um, but obviously they didn't, and I think Houston got a good player, and that's someone they can build around potentially.
1: How concerned are you about playing
0: against him tonight? Well, I'm not that concerned. I don't, like, I again, I think he's a good, well, who, who did they play before? Who were the Rockets' last two
1: games that he went off on? Do you know? Do they have a perimeter? Sac- Sacramento and Utah. So Sacramento, you can understand him scoring gone, but dropping 27 on Utah is no yeah. easy, no easy job. No, that's not an easy job. And I think, like you said, they're going to give
0: him the ball and, like, see what happens. And it's going to be interesting to see who he gets matched up with, whatever. Um, but even if he has a good game, I'm not too concerned because, again, I don't think Houston's a very good team, um, especially Christian Wood out. They've what they've lost every game that he hasn't played in the last, like, 14, 15 games that they've played. He, they haven't won. Um, John Wall's back, but, I mean, that's – John Wall of this year, not John Wall of three, four years ago. But I'm not too concerned. If Kevin Porter gets his points and gets his assists, it'll be fun to watch. We'll probably gripe about it Monday morning. But I don't think that's going to be such a huge loss, a huge, like, setback or anything.
1: And you mentioned bringing in one or two more guys just to add a bit more toughness to this rotation, just a little bit more... Um... Versatility in ways that aren't necessarily seen by putting the ball on the floor, right? You want guys setting these hard screens, really getting under guys' skin on the perimeter, making life tough and physical and really scratching it, guys. Have you got any names that aren't in the primary media at the moment? So outside of you guys like Harrison Barnes, uh, Larry Nance Jr., uh, Vucevic, are there any names that you like? I've got one that I like. Aaron Baines? No, in all, in all, in all seriousness. Um,
0: it's weird because I think I fall under the category of I'd rather use the TPE in the offseason. So I'm not really looking for the Celtics. And if they do, it's whatever. Like, I'm not going to be mad either way. Um, so I think if you make some little nitpicky trades, I think the buyout market potentially, if they you know give up a slot like a Carson Edwards or a Tremont, which I don't know if they will. I don't know what the, what their plans are. Um, but a guy like Otto Porter Jr. I think would be awesome. Um, I think he's like a Harrison Barnes light. And I think that he can fill in some of those things. You can play the four. He can play the wing. He's a decent perimeter defender. He's a decent shooter. Um, that's someone that I've kind of had my eye on. And I think that would A, keep the tape the TPE geez, TPE uh, intact so you can use it in the offseason. Um, another thing I saw, uh, scrolling through Bleacher Report, um, I didn't look at the full trade, but it was Wayne Ellington and Mason, oh, Miles Plumley. Mason, one of the, Plum, the Plumley that plays for uh, Detroit. And that's not the player that when we say Detroit, we think about, obviously Jeremy Grant was the player that has really been in the headlines. But I think you, if you get those two guys, you have two veteran presences now, again, on cheaper contracts. And you have a guy who can play those backup center minutes and you have a guy that can, I mean, that'll probably rough up the big rotation a bit, but you can just have him be like a bench guy to, you know, have that veteran presence. Then Ellington can be a decent shooter off the bench for you as well, something that they could add as well. Um, so that, that's probably where I would go. I know you were talking about Valanchunas, so I'll let you talk about that. But in my opinion, I think I would rather use the TPE later and go either in the buyout market route or super cheap. Like this guy for a
1: second round pick type deal. Fun fact, that trade article that you saw on Bleacher Report was actually Celtic's blog and it just got linked onto Bleacher Report. Oh, shoot. Look at that. <laughs> look. <laughs> that was one of the new writers. His name's Will. He, I think it was when it might have been Mike. It was one of the two guys um, that put that up. Let me have a look so I can credit them accordingly. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't even like... I was just... So scrolling. was uh, Michael Pierce that wrote that. He's a new writer over at Celtics. Plug. Check his stuff out, everybody. He's really good at what he does. Um, I like that trade idea for me. I like Jonas Valanciunas. I think um, you can split the TP and have enough left to make a splash in the offseason and bring in Valanciunas. Now, obviously, you need to move a big man out to make that rotation work. But I think he brings... Uh, glass dominance, he can stretch the floor so you can play five out offense like Brad Stevens likes to. He can slip screen, he can go screen. He's a, a true vet and he brings grit too, dude. I mean, this is a guy that basically, um, ha- what was it, hammer through somebody like he was in the Olympics the other week when they yeah. remember that that was like an Olympic hammer toss. So he brings that fire as well. I think he'd be a really good fit in Boston with what they're trying to do. If you're trying to bring in a big man that controlled, shoot the free and control the glass. I know everybody's been looking at Vucevic, but if you want a younger, more cost-controlled option, I'm not sure about his availability, but I know Memphis are looking to go young. They do have Tillman, they have Brandon Clark, they have some very intriguing bigs that I'm sure they'd like to be able to find more minutes for. So Jonas Valanciunas makes a ton of sense to me. Who they'd want in return is a different question. And then, if it's not one of the bigs that are already on the Celtics rotation... Moving on from one of them has to be a secondary deal. I don't think they'd want to move on from Toys or Williams, which means you need to try and find a buyer for Tristan Thompson. I'm not sure how easy that's going to be to do. And then you need to figure out what's coming back in that deal and how you slot in whoever you get in return there. So there would be a lot of moving parts. But if you want a big man and you want it to be a cost-controlled option, I think Valentinus is a very viable um second choice behind Vucevic and I personally think he fits the Celtics a little bit better than what Vucevic does just because he offers a bit better rim protection and a bit more defense
0: yeah I agree with that I think that's a really good name to throw out there I don't think a lot of people are talking about that because again we're not really sure of Balanchunas's availability with Jaron Jackson Jr not back yet because he's a stud I love that kid um but I I would probably think they hold on to him for this year and maybe that's an offseason deal you can do um, because I don't know if they want to throw Tillman into those really big minutes. I know he's been playing and that's someone the Celtics were looking at for the draft and a lot of that was a name thrown on for the Celtics for the draft was Xavier Tillman. So we obviously think highly enough where we think he can be a good player. But Valanciunas, like you said, he's that tough dude that, again, is going to hammer throw people. Um, he's going to control the rebound. I mean, he was a, a side in the Celtics thorns forever when he was on Toronto, then he started hitting threes. And then it was like, Oh, this guy's just annoying. But Always on your team. I think he'd be a lot less annoying. I think he would slide in a well. I think he, he gives you, you know, good paint protection. I think he uh, gives you really good rebounding, which is probably his best skill. And he can stretch the floor kind of like an Aaron Baines type guy. Like I was jokingly mentioning before. Um, so that would be a great trade. I think I would be onto that. Um that's just the thing, you have to split up the TPE. And if you think it works, then I'll I'll trust you. Um again, I, I would rather keep as much of it as I can. Um but that's just me.
1: Yeah, and I mean there's worlds where you can do this deal without using the TPE. If you package like a Tristian Thompson and one of one of the rookies, um then you can do that pretty much um two for one and bring in Valentunis without going into that TPE. So that could also be a viable option if you want to move into the summer with enough room to make a splash in a sign-and-trade, but you also want to make an upgrade now. I just think that it's definitely an option I'd like them to explore. Valentinus is averaging 16 and 11. He only takes one free a game, but I think that's a scalable skill set that he's got because he does look quite fluid from free. And even if he can opt that to free a game and hit 34% of those attempts, He's going to make defenses push up on him, which is going to create open lanes. A guy like Kemba Walker, I think we see what he's doing alongside Daniel Tice, and Tice has probably got a better basketball IQ than what Antunes has, but Antunes has a lot more tools in his box. So if Kemba can play this well off Tice, I'd be really intrigued to see how Kemba can play off Antunes.
0: Yeah, I think it would be a good pairing. I think it would be a good fit, and I think he slots in nicely. How they make it work, again, like you were saying, that's to be determined, but... I think that's a really good name to throw out there.
1: And then when we're talking about Kemba, I mean, we can segue here. He excellent podcasting right now. Look we can that. talk about Kemba a little bit. I mean, we're talking about a guy that was in a press conference yesterday saying he thinks he might need to hunt his shots a little more. And I don't know how I feel about that. This is a guy that is going to be third option, but he's also a guy that has to perform well if the Celtics want to go deep into the playoffs and if they want to have good games now where they're very viable in the fourth or third seed. So how do you feel about that? Because Kemba's still quite streaky coming back off this injury. There's been real good stretches, and then there's been stretches that have been quite rough to watch. I'm fine with it. I think when
0: Kemba, much like when we were talking about Gordon the fat, past few years, when he's aggressive and he's doing things, like that's when he's at his best. And I think that's the same for Kemba. What I've noticed from Kemba the last few years, he's he would done a great job when you know, before he got hurt and everything, where he would let the Jays dictate the game. Where... They would either they would say, okay, Jason and Jalen, you take your shots. If you guys are hot, then keep doing it. If you guys aren't, I'll come in and I'll do my thing. And I think Kemba's still a really good player. Like I said, a little streaky, but over the last few games, he's been I think his his him being bad is a bit overblown and a bit out of proportion. I think he's doing a lot better than a lot of people want to give him credit for. I think he's the new name where if something goes wrong, it's his it's his fault. And when, you know, something goes right it's he's nowhere to be credited for kind of how like gordon was the last few years but i'm fine with him getting his shots i think when he gets his shots we're good and i think he can get those shots And i think he's still able to get those shots and i would love for him to heat up because like you said he's a third option and obviously Jalen and jason are still going to get their shots i don't think him saying that means he wants to take shots away from the other two but i think yeah once he gets going going, he's a good third option and we need him to be to be going
1: I mean, this is what Brad Stevens said. One, uh, Just a little excerpt from what Stevens said. He does a great job. He's so unselfish that he will defer, but we need him to be the guy he can be. Scoring and keeping defenses on their heels in actions for him, in secondary actions and on a play break stand, getting the ball to the second side is really important. So, Brad Stevens has been saying stuff like this since Kemba came back, right? That like they need to do a better job of helping Kemba and putting him in a position to succeed. And it does feel like sometimes that. T- The rest of the guys are waiting for Kemba to put them in positions to succeed. They'll wait for Kemba to penetrate and then reap the rewards when Kemba um, kicks back out to someone like Jalen or Jason for a secondary drive or a pull-off. It would be nice to see other guys outside of Daniel Tice and, to a lesser extent, Rob Will, uh, put Kemba in positions to succeed, but at the same time... Kemba needs to be able to create for himself, in my opinion. You're a $30 million a point guard that's got a big reputation for your burst of speed your change of pace and your ability to finish down low as well as finish in the mid-range of front three and we're just not seeing that at the moment if he's 100 healthy and he's changing directions with no pain and he's landing off pull-ups and it's not hurting him then i want to see him be a little bit more aggressive and hunt for his own shot until guys start being comfortable with allowing him <laughs> to run the
0: offense yeah, I mean, I, again, I think he's just an explosive guy. And obviously, like I said, like he hasn't been great the last this year, but he hasn't been bad either. And I think also with the recent struggles of um, the Jays, I think that's what's putting a lot of this into perspective a little bit more. I think they've had some uh, off games. Jalen's had some off games. Jason's obviously had some off games over the past stretch of time. Um, and then when Kemba's not on, that just amplifies it a whole bunch more, you know? So I think that him doing a, a good job at kind of recognizing that, As I, right now I'm, I'm just looking up how Jalen's performed over the last few days, statistics-wise, 13, 21, 18, 15, 17, from the 24th of February till now. So hasn't been on that pace where he has, where he has been at the beginning of the season. And of all those games, he shot over 40% twice. So now you have Jalen Brown's not not playing over the last five games to that all-star level. So now that amplifies Kemba not, you know, producing whatever. And Kemba's been fine. I think he's had a couple 20-point games, a couple 30-point games. But like you said, I think wanting to see more creation from other players is nice. Um, but I'm fine with Brad saying, like, we need you to do a little bit more. We want you to be more. And I know he's trying to defer to the Jays because they're the two best players on the team, no doubt. But I think Kemba being that third option, him taking more shots doesn't necessarily mean that the other two aren't taking shots.
1: Yeah, and that's been the biggest point of emphasis for me for a while is like being able to say, Jalen and Jason, you guys, we want you to learn to run the offense. We want you to become more of playmaking wings. It's the next evolution in both of your games. And you have a scorer that you can really trust to put the ball in the hoop if you team up and not have, not showing that level of trust to Kemba, which I, I think they sometimes overlook him. They'll look off Kemba a little bit. Um, I think that's kind of insulting at the same time because Kemba's been there and done that, and he's one of these guys that's encouraging everybody. So I want to see them look for him a little bit more, and not just the two Jays either. Um, if Kemba's out there with Marcus Smart, I know that Marcus Smart's going to feed Kemba, but there's going to be players. I mean, if we put it up now, so these are the amount of assists that have gone to Kemba Walker from each player. So Jeff Teague has assisted Kemba once, Tristan Thompson has hit him seven times, Smart's got him once, Brown's got him 13 times, Tatum's got him 14 times, Tice has got him four times, Rob Will's got him twice, Grant Will's got him three times, Javante Green's got him twice. But then if we look at who Kemba's assisting, Kemba's dropped 11 dimes to Tristan, 19 to Jalen, 2 to Marcus, 7 to Jason, 5 to Ojale, 27 to Tice six to Rob Will, six to Grant Will, two to Javante, one to Aaron Neesmith, and then five to Pritchard. So Kemba's distributing that rock, man. He's spraying passes left, right, and centre. And while the Jays are definitely the two that are hooking him up the most, I'd like to see guys, kind of like I'd like to see Shemmy look for it a little bit more, because Shemmy's going to be a guy that's just posted in the corner. If there's a hard closeout coming towards you and you don't feel beating them, taking a dribble, redirect the ball. It's the same with guys like Tristan Thompson. I'd like to see Thompson feed Canberra a little bit more, to be honest. Um, that's just me, though. Like, if we, It's it's a weird aspect because we're asking role players to tee up a star or a guy that's meant to be one of your star players. Yeah. And asking them to do that is kind of asking everyone on the team to step outside of their role a little bit. But I think it's something they're going to need to do if they want to get Canberra really going in games. Because at the moment, defences have figured out that If you hone in on Kemba and you keep Kemba um, subdued, then it makes life really difficult on the rest of the team. And you only really see the best of the Celtics when you see the best of Kemba Walker. It kind of does go hand in hand.
0: I agree. And I also think you have to take into consideration that he was also the main ball handler and distributor with Marcus Smart out for those four weeks or so. So not only I think now that Marcus Smart's going to be playing a little bit more and getting into rhythm and getting back from his injury, you're going to see a more attacking Kemba because he has another guy that they can trust to pass the ball around, and Kemba can kind of take that scoring role back while having playmaking as a secondary uh, strength instead of I think it was flipped for the last couple of weeks because like he's uh, like I said, Marcus Smart was out, and then your other reliable bench uh, bench uh, ball handler was a rookie who was out for a little bit and a guy who really doesn't play if everyone else is playing. So your backup facilitators weren't really reliable, so Kemba had to kind of take over that, all right, I have to be an extra playmaker now to make up for that Marcus thing. And when Marcus back, I think we're going to see things kind of return to normal.
1: Yeah, and this is by no means um, any slander towards Kemba. I think that what, what I'm trying to get at is Kemba Walker is very um, – conclusive towards winning. When Kemba plays well, the Celtics play well. So finding ways to get him to play well should be Numerate Una. Uh, And Tatum and Brand generally feed off Kemba's Activity, They feed off the winning mentality quite a lot. I find that, Ken- that that's what happens with younger guys, though. Their heads drop. They they need to learn to stay on the game and just make the right next play. And the Celtics last year, it felt like every time they were down in games, they'd just start throwing deep free bombs. And while that has been the case this year, I feel like it's a little bit less from the two Js. So that's encouraging as well because it shows uh, maturity growth. But I think Kemba's going to be an X factor for this team. Finally, the last X Factor, and this is a hot take from me. I don't really do hot takes, but I've been thinking about this for a while. I really like the idea of once Romeo Langford's back, playing him at the point for stretches and adding some size to that secondary um, bench unit. If you like to run Peyton Pritchard at the two, I'd be really intrigued to see what Romeo can do in a playmaking role at the one. And his length and size will give um, opposing second unit guards real issues on the perimeter.
0: I like that. I really do like that a lot. Um, he played that kind of ball handling, basically a point guard role at Indiana. He's been playing that all his life. I think he has the ability to do that, and I think that was one of his strengths and what really drew me to him, uh, Romeo, that is. He can be a primary ball handler, and that's he. Can, I think he can do that. I really do think he can. I think that would be something to experiment with and try, um, and I think that would help if he can do that. It's just another ball handler that you can put in there. Um, and I think that's a, that's a weakness you you have, and he can fill that in. We'll see how good he is to go, um, but I, I like that. I think that's a really good idea.
1: One of the main reasons that I've been toying with this idea is because the Jeff Teague, Peyton Pritchard backcourt off the bench defensively is atrocious. They're last, dead last in points allowed per 100 possessions. Um, that second unit that's got Teague and Pritchard on the floor together. If you can bring in a guy like Romeo, it allows you to start hiding Pritchard a little bit more on defence. And Brad Stevens is excellent at hiding smaller guards. He does it, He's done it for Isaiah Thomas. He's doing it for Kembra to an extent. Having somebody like Romeo with that size and length would help alleviate some of the pressure off Pritchard defensively. And it would also mean that Pritchard can run the floor on the break and operate as a leak-out option. So I really like that idea. I also, I'm more curious to see what Romeo can do with the ball in his hands, bringing it up the floor than what I am as a guy that's attacking the slash off of a catch. I'd like to see him more trying to break down defenses. And if he can prove that he can run the pick and roll, he can run transition, then maybe you do have a guy with enough size to be a modern kind of wing slash guard that we see. You know, like Alonzo Ball's or wing slash guard. Ben Simmons is definitely... A wing slash guard now because he runs the guard but he's got the size of the wing i think that that would be quite a good caveat to be able to just bring someone out with enough length to really impact the ball defensively while also having that same slashing ability that you'd ask for him from the two all the three
0: yeah and i think unless you make a move to address those situations then you are kind of force yourself into trying that at least to make up for some of that Um, the weaknesses on the team so I like that idea I think that'd be a really good idea I know you and I are both kind of high on Romeo Um, so I would love for him to play a pretty premium role and really help this team win some games so I'm fine with that
1: so what would that start what would that bench five be then it would be Romeo at the one Pritchard at the two Neesmith at the three you'd probably have Shemi at the four and then Rob Williams at the five that's a lot of length and a lot of defense as well that can score I actually like that. I mean, it's young, and it's going to have real cold spells, like terrible cold spells. And if you're running that bench unit out, you don't expect to contend this year. So I don't know whether or not they'd commit to that, but I'd definitely like to see a a prolonged sample size, two, 300 possessions of that bench unit to see what the youth are capable of when they're playing alongside and off of each other.
0: Yeah, I mean, you draft these players for a reason. You got to find out if they can play or not. So I'm fine with that. I mean, obviously... It depends on what how you think this season. Do you think you're contenders now or do you think you're not? Right now I don't think we, we are. I still think we can compete with a lot of teams and we could get hot at one point and make a run in the playoffs. And I don't think we're a first round exit team. But you have to find out if these players can play, not only for the rest of the season, but come off season. We'll see how, you know, who has value, who has this, who has that. So I like that idea. I think that's a pretty good idea. And obviously that helps with me, because you kind of keep the TPE in, in, in uh in check if you roll that route. So I like the idea. I think it's a really good idea. And obviously anything they can put Romeo in the spotlight, I'm fine
1: with. Don't you think that holding, and this is kind of the one drawback I've got to the TPE being used in the summer, that by holding it until the summer, you remove the luxury of operating from a position of strength. Like teams know that this TPE is going to expire. So now all of a sudden they're going to be a lot harder to do deals with. They're going to be asking for more, knowing that you need to use it or lose it.
0: That's fair, but also how many of the last couple summers, how many times have we seen a superstar kind of just demand a trade out of nowhere and then teams are shackled in that way too? I mean, you got good deals for Harden, but like when Westbrook dipped and it was like, I have to go, you I mean they didn't really get that much from him. So I think that's where I lie, where you can potentially have someone who is really good, who makes a good amount of money, just want out overnight. And you're now in a position where both of those teams will have to help each other because not only, like you said, do we have to use it, but they have to get rid of that guy in order to preserve things. So I think that keeps us in a, a unique opportunity to be able to give a bunch um, and still be fine, you know, and especially since there was that thing a, couple months, uh, like a month ago that came out with, like, we're one of, like, what, 14 teams of all with all our picks. So, I think that's the attractiveness of having that TPE because you never know what stars is going to say they want out. You never know what stars are going to be disgruntled all of a sudden. Like, especially like with Utah, blah, blah, blah. If like Mitchell and Gobert, for, for example, I don't know how the money works there. I don't think it's, I think he, Mitchell's over the TPE because he signed his extension. But a, a situation like that, like there's been, after the COVID thing, there's beef between those two. And if they don't, you're the number one seed in the West, and if they don't make, far Mitchell could be like all right I'm done and that could happen to other stars too so that's why I kind of want to keep the TPE because we can be put in a unique situation where we can go after one of those
1: guys and really make the most of it you know another guy who I'd like and it would be off the buyout market on a minimum that'd be LaMarcus Aldridge yeah I will I would not be interested in any form of trade and taking on that salary because he can walk at the end of the year but if you can get him on a minimum after if he gets bought out And he can come in and play as a secondary big. I'd be quite interested in that. I think that Robert Williams could learn something from him in terms of the way that Aldridge kind of runs the offense on the perimeter. And I also think Aldridge is quite good at um, creating offense from the high post as well, from the elbow. So I'd be interested in that just so Aldridge can help on a playoff push, but he'll also help Rob Williams kind of flourish with his passing. Because Rob, to me, he's got such a high potential as a passing big that bringing in someone like Aldridge could actually help, even if it was just for a six-month stint, seeing how that vet goes along about his business. And Brad Stevens and Danny Ainge have both said before that Robert Williams has had some great role models in guys like Al Horford, guys like Aaron Baines. Being able to see how these guys work is incredibly beneficial. And if you can do that for a vet min while having a guy that could help you possibly make it to a conference finals, then you should be all in on that
0: Yeah, I agree, and I I 100% agree I wouldn't give up 27 million for Aldridge right now. Not in any world, bro. Seven years ago, sure, but right now, no. I mean, I love Marcus Aldridge. He's one of my favorite players growing up, Um, but buyout market's fine. But using your TP on him for what is like, what, 14 and 8 when he starts, so if he comes off the bench or starts, he's probably going to give you like 12 and 4 I don't think that's worth $27 But the buyout market, like you said, that could be a big deal. That could be a very good, beneficial deal. He plays limited minutes. He gets some more rest. He's not the focal point of offense. And he can be that complementary piece to what you do. He can stretch the floor a little bit. He's been shooting more threes as of late. He's always been a sniper in the mid-range. He can get you some rebounds. He's not the best rebound, especially not anymore. But I think that would be a great option for the buyout market. Like I mentioned Otto Porter... Junior, that would be a good use of the buyout as well if you want to go that route.
1: Yeah, it's just another name to watch, right? I mean, I've been interested in him. I know some people have messaged me talking about DeMar Rosen. It'd be a very similar option there for me. I wouldn't want to take him on his contract. I wouldn't want to risk the flight risk. If I'm not mistaken, he's going to be hitting free agency this year too. I might be mistaken there, but I'm quite confident. I'll double check, I'll fact check that in a okay. second. Coach. Cody looks like he's fact-checking it. But again, if he was ever bought out, which I don't think he would be, I wouldn't mind him coming in after buyout market, but I just wouldn't feel comfortable giving him the money because he would effectively be your bench offense. And for what he earns, the bench offense role doesn't kind of equate to that money.
0: Yeah, I mean, it depends on what... Yeah, so he is up after this year. So he's an unrestricted free agent after this season. Um, And he's also 27 million. So that would use basically the TPE. I think he's actually like, 200k above that. Um, but DeRozan's an interesting player. Um, if he's bought out, sure. I mean, I think he can give you um, that would kind of probably force him into the three, Jalen into the four, would it not? Um, but he, he, he gives you a good play. Like, he's been a way better playmaker since he got to San Antonio. He's kind of been there. Um, him and Murray have been kind of their two primary ball handlers in the starting lineup. And he's what up, like, like six to seven assists a game. Like That, I think, would help. And then, obviously, he's a good mid-range scorer, and he, he's a crafty scorer, and he can give you 20 points a night. Um, so he'd be an interesting option, but it obviously depends on if they do buy him out. I wouldn't use the TPE
1: on him. It just all depends. Yeah, I'm just going to yeah. buy out with buyout options at this point. Yeah. Um, that pretty much wraps us up. Cody, thank you for joining me today, buddy. Of course. It's always a pleasure we'll say we'll have you back on here soon in probably two weeks we're probably going to do Cody every two weeks because Cody's awesome everyone if you've been listening please leave that five star review and something nice for me to read if you're not one for leaving reviews then the best review you could give us is by recommending us to a friend or family that's a Celtics fan word of mouth is always the best form of advertisement and I will catch you again on Wednesday I hope everybody enjoyed last night's game by the time you listen to this and I hope the Celsius get a win. Everybody have a great day. Catch you again on Wednesday. Cody, thank you again, bro. Of course.